Before we start, I just want to let everybody know that this podcast is brought to you by Locker Room. Go download the Locker Room app on your iOS device tonight. Tonight. Tonight's the night. The first Locked on Tigers Locker Room session will be going down. You can ask me questions. We can talk about the Tigers or heck, if you want to just talk about life, we can do that as well. That will be happening tonight. But first, you got to download the app. Go to your iTunes store in the app store and download Locker Room. up everybody welcome into locked on tigers i'm your host chris castellani it is tuesday march 23rd michigan hasn't played yet as of the time of this recording so i can't tell you whether or not i'm happy though i am very excited because we have something really cool planned first a little bit of tigers news matt boyd is the opening day starter okay cool fine uh it was turnbull's missing uh time because of some covid stuff so okay whatever it, it probably had to be boyd yeah i know he, he was terrible last year but that's beside the point mark luino a.k.a. Giraffe Neck Mark, joined us for a recording session yesterday, did a fun interview with him. We talked about the Mets. We talked about his YouTube channel, what some of the most surreal moments for him have been. Really, really nice guy. And and look, here's the thing. Yours truly, in all his craziness and ranting that he's done throughout the years, has accumulated a very awesome following of people who follow him on the Twittersphere. And I I appreciate those people and love those people. And now I want to talk to those people. And I've had the luxury of doing that with Foolish Baseball, with Scott Bentley, and now with Draft Neck Mark. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Mark Luino. All right, we are joined today by Mark Luino. He is also known as Giraffe Neck Mark on YouTube. We're talking about a guy who has accumulated over 177,000 subscribers on YouTube, one of my favorite follows and has been for a while, huge Mets fan, huge baseball fan, and now a guest on Locked on Tigers. Mark, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Chris. I'm excited to talk a little uh, Tigers baseball, not necessarily a team I talk too much about. So it's, they're exciting too. They got a good future. I know you know all about it. Well, so. well, yeah, well, we'll, 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 we'll discuss that for sure. But real quick, and I'm looking at uh, the, the football helmet in the background there. I saw on your Twitter bio, you uh, graduated from South Carolina in 2019. Yes. Uh, it's March Madness season, uh, so I'm guessing were, you were there when the, they made that run to the Final Four a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, I was there. That was like an unreal experience. I mean, Cinderella story, everything you could ask for. Like that's that's 100% my college memory. I'll never forget. Uh, dude, I I can't blame you, man. Yeah, for sure. What Frank Martin was able to do there with that team, the teams they knocked off, and the fact that they, I mean, getting there is is great enough. But they played Gonzaga yeah. tough in that game too. Yeah, that was that was, that was a game that they could have won too. And yeah, like a few no, they, shots here and there, if Sindarius didn't have the flu, like mm-hmm. I think that's a game we could win. But I was so happy and like so proud of that team. It was a great moment for sure, man, for sure. But uh, you know, the question I, I like to ask all content creators, and I, I asked I asked Bailey Foolish Baseball this question as well. I, I'm always curious: is 
the moment where things kind of pop because he alluded to the fact that the Justin Verlander impossible inning video that he did was kind of a moment where he was like, all right, this is, this is not just a hobby anymore. This might be something that I could do professionally as a financially viable option. What was that moment for you? Was it a tweet? Was it a, a video? What was the moment where you went from, okay, this is gone from just kind of the side project to, I really want to make this a bigger part of my life. Yeah. So it was always like a goal of mine, I think, to eventually turn my YouTube channel into like my everyday kind of job. You know, everybody has their, you know, dream per se. I wanted to be a baseball player at first, but once that became like not a realistic possibility, I moved my eyes to the YouTube scene and I'd been making videos for a couple of years and I had, you know, about 40,000 subscribers before the 2019 baseball season. Mm -hmm. So I went to spring training, did that whole thing, about 40,000. I went to a Mets Braves game like real early on in the season. Mets got smacked. Jason Vargas pitched, you know, a terrible game as he does. And on my way home from Atlanta, going back to South Carolina, I was listening to a podcast um, where Mr. Beast was featured on it. And he was talking about YouTube. And obviously he's like one of the biggest YouTubers around. He just absolutely kills the game. And the things that he mentioned on there really stuck and clicked with me that day, which basically was, you know, screw the YouTube algorithm. Don't worry about it. The things you got to worry about is making videos people want to watch. People videos want to click and then make them stay for longer than other people. So if you keep them on the platform long, YouTube's going to keep them watching your videos and recommending it. So I went back home. I started thinking about videos I was making. And at the time I had my video that is now my most viewed video ever on my channel, which was talking about uh, the best player for every single Jersey number in major league baseball, which has like almost 700,000 views, I think now. And that video was getting, I think around like 50 to 60 K at the time after like two or three days. And I was like, oh, wait, like, I, I think I figured it out. I think I realized what people are looking for in the baseball world on YouTube. I think I realized like what kind of videos are going to get people's attention. I started doing them more and I was like, oh my God, like we, we did it. It's working. Like this is something I can do, which is perfect timing because I was graduating college as well, like that next month. So it worked out really well. Is it easier now than it's ever been? Or is it more difficult because the audience is so much bigger than it used to be? I wouldn't say it's easier, but I would say that, I think I have a better idea of what I'm doing where I kind of, I don't have a formula necessarily, but there is a little bit of like rinse and repeat with a lot of my videos where, okay, I know what my topic's going to be. I go over what, you know, I'm saying in the video. And then at the end I do my outro. A lot of the ideas come to me a lot easier now where before there was a lot of research and a lot of like time spent on what am I going to make where now I'm more focused on what's actually going into the video instead of the idea. No, I get that completely. And once you, yeah, once you kind of get rolling with it at a certain point, it may be easier. wasn't the right word, but I guess more confident where, where you, you get to know your audience more, I feel like at a certain point and eventually it just, it kind of flows a little bit better. I also forgot to mention you are the co-host of the Mets up podcast. I'll make sure to link that in the Thank description you. for uh, this video. You know, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on is outside of the tigers, the team I've maybe talked about the most on this podcast is actually the Mets because uh, I'm, I'm a huge Steve Cohen guy. Like yeah. I'm all on board with that. For one, I just think it's, there is something to be said about an owner or a GM that is so all in on building a champion. And I think it's something that you guys with the will ponds, not to say you didn't have success, but always seemed to be lacking. It kind of seemed like it was pulling teeth at points where you felt like you were one or two big moves away and you know, never were able to get over the top, never able to capitalize on maybe a great rotation or a generational player like David Wright. That's the frustration we're dealing with with the Tigers right now, where it's like, when are they going to spend? But I guess just in general, what is the mood of the fan base just like a million times healthier right now, knowing that he's in control there? 
Yeah, I think the Mets fan base is in a really weird spot right now because we had when Cohen bought the team and it was like, I mean, you saw me, I was popping champagne bottles. Yeah, of course, like, I, was, I don't blame you. Yeah, I was through the roof because I seriously didn't think in my lifetime I would see another ownership outside the Wilpons. I thought that we were stuck with them. You know, Fred was the, is the dad. He is the guy who really owns them, but Jeff was the son and he's like my dad's age. So I didn't think that there was any time in the near future where I was going to see a non-Wilpon owned Mets team. So super, super excited. And I'm still super excited, but the Mets fan base then took that excitement into, okay, here it is. He said, we're going to win. He's got money. He's got $14 billion. Where's Bauer? Where's Real Muto? Where's Springer? Where's right. Mayhew? And we didn't get a single one. So a lot of people went from being really happy to, oh, you know, we're back to the old same Mets. It's like, no guys, take a step back. This team is nowhere even close to the same old Mets. We got Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. Those are two huge additions. We even signed like Taiwan Walker, make a move for Joey Lucchese, Trevor May, James McCann, even like the list goes on and on. They still had a fantastic off season. I think it's just that people sometimes get a little too focused on missing out on the big names. And instead you should be excited. Like we offered Trevor Bauer $45 million a year. Mm-hmm. That is a contract that never would have existed under the Wilpon regime. And the Mets didn't, he just picked somewhere else. Like that's going to happen. You're going to lose out. But the fact that the Mets were involved in every single major free agent this year, even DJ LeMahieu, mm-hmm. I think is like a huge testament to one. People want to play for Steve Cohen. He's in their eyes. And two, the Mets are trying, they're trying. And that's, if you like watch some of my old videos, even talking about the Mets, I say, all I want to do, all I want is the Mets to try. They don't, right. even, have to, they don't even have to get the guy, just try. That's what they did this offseason. I can't complain. There, there's so many parallels here, man, because that's what I was saying this offseason where it's like, I really wanted JT Riamuto in Detroit. I think he's, well, I, he's to me, underrated. I think he's far and away the best catcher in baseball. But I'm like, man, look, if JT Riamuto doesn't want to play for a team that's lost 100 plus games or I've been on track to over the last four years, that's fine. Just take a flyer out, see, 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 you know, the, th- throw the, 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 the fishing rod out there to see if it's, see if he bites. I get that completely. And it's, there is an excitement that comes with that. And I guess it's comparable to like, even though Cohen's an owner, not a GM, but like when Dave Dombrowski was in Detroit yeah. and despite flaws and all for about a 10 year stretch, we came into every year being like, you know, maybe we got a shot. Like, yeah, there's, there's some issues here and they should have won one, but for all the, the nonsense dude spent and it was a lot of fun. And, I guess, yeah, and I'll, I'll ask you about the Francisco Lindor trade. First of all, thank you for getting him out of the AL Central. Oh, you're welcome. You're we'll, Listen, we'll take him. We'll take him off of the, your hands. You don't got to worry about him anymore. Happily. I, I mean, I just just talk me through that because there is some as a fan that's just so awesome about when you read that news. Uh, at what point did it feel like it was a legitimate possibility? And then uh, how, how were you feeling when it did happen? I still don't believe to this day that we trade for Francisco Lindor. Like, I think I tweet out probably at least once a week, Francisco Lindor is a New York Met. And right. like, I'm not, I mean, it gets interaction. That's great. But like, I'm not joking to where like, I go, mm-hmm. how, how did we get here? Because I think there was always a possibility and there was always a chance that we had a really good package the Indians openly said they wanted to trade with the Mets. So there was always a way for us to get it done. But just as a Mets fan, even with Cohen, you know, there was still in the back of my mind, like someone's going to come along. The Yankees are going to come along and offer something that they can't deny, or another team is going to step in. There was teams that definitely had better players, but when it came push to shove, the Mets gave the best trade package. Apparently. I mean, like just so, so happy. I, I, I think my videos, like even that day, like really summarized it well, where I just, I didn't know what to say because I just couldn't stop smiling. Like they call him Mr. Smile. I, it was contagious. Like I could not stop smiling. No, he's a phenomenal player, and he's a great player to have in the city and a great player to have 
in a clubhouse. And, and you brought up uh, guys wanting to play for Cohen. And that was another move that I think got overlooked was the fact that Marcus Stroman was going to opt out, opted yep. in when he saw kind of Cohen's vision here. And I think that's, that's huge in terms of morale. And like you said, bringing people in rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. We're covering everything you need to know about the Tigers, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, one player we haven't mentioned in one of my absolute favorite players to watch, uh, and I'm sure yours as well, uh, I just, I adore Jacob deGrom. I think yes. that guy's tur- right. I mean, how can you not? I think he's turning into a superhuman at this point, the way that like his stuff is getting better. His, the fastball make, is getting better. Like, it, it makes no sense. This guy went from like throwing like 96, 97. You're like, Oh, that's great. To now he's like, Oh, I throw like one Oh one on every fastball in spring in, yeah. in the second inning of a spring training game. No, he's, he's absolutely remarkable. And, and you know, despite all the, the, the minutia of what happened with the run support a couple of years ago. It is, it's like when Verlander pitched in Detroit where it's like, man, you know what, despite everything that might be going on, it might not be a great team. We got this guy going once every fifth day and it's awesome. I mean, it is, he's, he's gotta be the best Met starter that you've seen. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, in my lifetime, he's, he's gotta be number one, like hands down. I mean, like the only other guy that would honestly come close is like, I guess you got Johan for like that stretch with the Mets at the like, mid 2000s where they kept choking but he was around and he was still nasty Mm -hmm. but there's just nobody who's had the sheer dominance for the stretch that Jacob deGrom's had I mean even when he first came up he was like a rookie of the year he had phenomenal seasons he just wasn't what he is now yeah and then I mean he could have been three times Cy Young award winner back to back to back like that's just ridiculous yeah and I'm under the belief if last season would have played out in full I think he would have he would have ended up lapping yeah, uh, Bauer at some point, in, in my opinion, and, and yeah, I mean, really, you look at all-time great Mets pitchers. I mean, there's 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 Doc and what he did, you know, in, in the in the late '80s and winning them a championship, and of course Tom Seaver. But once you get beyond that, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's just been uh, absolutely electric. And and you, you brought it up that there was like there was that moment where it seemed like okay, he's either going to stay on on course here and be a really good pitcher, or he's going to it was going to take off. And I think it was after 2017 when all of a sudden he just took off. He's so much, maybe it was the haircut that did it. Got him, got him that extra three miles in velocity. Cause he's been, he's been so much fun. And 
the unfortunate thing about the Mets, and, and it may make it fun or at least competitive, is they play in a really good division. And, and I guess in terms of your outlook, what are the expectations? Is it NL, NL East or bust? Is it wild card or bust? What, how are you viewing it right now? Have, have to make the playoffs. Definitely yeah. have to make the playoffs. I think anything else would be a disappointment, especially coming from the guy who's picked the Mets to win the World Series the last two years. <laughs> so, I mean, like, clearly I'm a little delusional in that, you know, regards. But mm. also, like, this team is way better than the years past. And I think that they have to make the playoffs. That would be a failure of a season. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen. If you know people were to get injured and stuff, that's a different story. But if everything on paper stays how it should be, they should be a playoff team. Now, NL East, I'm not so sold on that just because I think a lot of people are doubting the Braves still. Me, I'm, yeah. still I'm still a big believer in the Braves. Until the Mets physically beat them, I can't give them the NL East crown just yet because that's, that's the Braves division right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like I, ha- I have really high expectations. I don't think that they're done yet. I think, you know, they're going to make some moves at the deadline too, that are going to help improve that team. I like the core that we've got, as long as we play baseball the way that I know we can, which we've shown at the end of the year, every single season, it feels like the last couple of years, they can be one of the toughest teams to beat in the league. Yeah. And it seemed like at the end of 19, it seemed like they were really coming into their own. I mean, they were hovering around 500 if not below 500 for a majority of that season and then you know one of the early videos years I watched was I think the uh the walk-off against Sean Doolittle I think it was Stroman's first uh first start at at City Field it was just electric and they really turned it on there just missed the postseason and and I, I I do have to ask about this because there is and I you're you're aware of it and you you play into it as well a you know the meme of the Mets, right? I mean, there's a KFC from Barstool Post that that a couple months ago, or maybe even a year ago, that laundry list of weird Mets things that have happened, you know, weird injuries. Do you have, and I guess it's all, like I said, it's all kind of misery, but do you have like a favorite, I can't, Lowell Mets story, Lowell Mets injury that stands out as like, how in the world did that happen? Yeah, I mean, like you have the Noah Syndergaard hand, foot, and mouth, whatever it was called disease where he got like from hang you, you normally get around from hanging around like toddlers and infants so right. was, that was like how does that even happen the one that i always think of and it's like it's not a good injury but like i think Duaner sanchez was you know a lights out setup man for us in the mid 2000s and he like got in a taxi and the taxi got in an accident and he basically like never really pitched again for the mets and he was so good and something like he got in the wrong taxi like that's like literally like and he got hurt and that was it for his mets career essentially Stuff like that just felt like it was nonstop with the Mets. Yeah, I, I know. it's You play into it. But what, what is weird is that it's not like the Mets or the Cleveland Browns, though. It's not like you guys have never had success. Like, you, you'll find a way every, you know, five, you know, at five, six years to have that team that's, you know, riding into the postseason or at least competitive. And hopefully this year will be another one of those years. Uh, the offseason in general for the Mets was pretty awesome. Like you said, yeah. Lindor, McCann. But it was not without its its tumult, and none of it really having to do with the current administration. But you had the stuff that unfortunately came out regarding Porter and Callaway. I'm actually going to start with Callaway because I know you were incredibly critical of him when he was a manager, and yeah. I I do I was too. I, I mean he he gave gave off to me serious Brad Osmus vibes when he was in Detroit where it's Dude, like, I'm so glad you said that because like, I mean, even after they got rid of Mickey and Brad Osmus, I think was like being rumored for the Mets. I was like, Oh God, no, please. That's another Mickey Calloway. Like no way. And no, I, well, that's, that's the thing is he, when he was hired in Detroit, everyone was like, man, after two years, everyone wanted him gone. And Dombrowski said, this guy was the best interview I've ever conducted flamed out in Detroit, but because he's a sharp guy, I think 
Abel fell into a managerial job in LA, which he was ousted after one year, but you were really critical of Callaway. I thought he was in the article that was Paul State Athletic proved this. He was terrible with the media. He was even just as bad at managing a bullpen. You know, you're, you're closer to that situation than I am. Were you surprised by all of that? Yeah. I mean, like I always thought he was like, I, 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 can I curse on here? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I always thought he was a bit of a bag, but like, <laughs> I didn't think that it was to this level. I mean, you see the mm. stuff that he was doing and like just harassing women, especially in the media that he was around all the time. Like that obviously isn't cool. That doesn't fly. I'd never expected things like that to come out. I just didn't like the guy. I didn't like, you know, what he was as a manager. I didn't like how he handled the team. I didn't like the decisions he was making. He felt spineless. And I mean, in that regards, yes, he definitely is a spineless human. Um, I I still can't believe he somehow has a job with the Los Angeles Angels still. He hasn't been fired yet. But yeah, I mean, like that stuff was super eye-opening. And it just shows that like, you know, there still is this stuff going on in baseball. And it's got to be addressed because can't have these guys hanging around and continuously getting job opportunity after job opportunity. And that, that was the point I made when I talked about Porter is that there, it's easy to make the, Oh my God, say, you know, it's the Mets. That's what happens. There are jokes. It's not a Mets problem. It was a major no. league baseball problem. Every person, I think it was it, it, Carton and Roberts in, in New York talked about this extensively where they're like, every person who spoke up for Jared Porter said, best guy you'll ever meet nice guy. They did the whole vetting process. And then it turned out that he was a creep. So it's not like it's their fault. Now, in terms of turning a a negative into a positive, is it refreshing that Cohen acted as swiftly as he did kind of cleaning house and being like, all right, we got to maintain a solid culture here. He's gone. We're bringing in a new guy. Yeah, no, it was nice because like when that news broke, I think I might've even been streaming at the time. And I just like, I turned off stream and I was like, Oh, it's happening again. I was like, we didn't get away from like, this is, this is the Mets are back. It's the same old Mets. Um, and then like, I knew Colin was sleeping. Like it was, it was a late night thing too. When it came out, I think it was yeah. like 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And I, I was reading, I was I couldn't believe it. And then I said, oh, he's got, he's got to be fired. He's got to be gone there. You just can't keep a guy like this around. So it was nice to see that, you know, as soon as Colin saw it the next day, he was, he was axed because there's, there's no room for that guy in the organization. Even if he got us Lindor, like, thanks, but goodbye. Right. And, and I, th- I think that's, also it's kind of there's parallels to what happened last year with the managerial search obviously you fire uh beltron because of the sign stealing stuff but then you brought you brought in rojas who i think i remember you tweeting hey i'm fine with this this is okay now uh porter's gone you bring back uh sandy elderson who had a fair amount of success you know when he was uh with the mets there is that one that like i don't think it's a long-term option necessarily but considering the circumstances are you relatively happy with Alderson coming back at least for the time being yeah I think Alderson's a big reason you know for the core that's working right now you know you can give BBW a lot of crap he brought in a guy like JD Davis who obviously wasn't a Met guy that was someone BBW brought in but I mean Pete all these guys that are you know a part of the core right now are pretty much Alderson guys um, he did a really great job in the draft, especially like college talent, which is really, really hard sometimes to do in the draft. Yeah. He seemed to be hitting, I mean, McNeil's a college guy, Alonzo's a college guy, DeGrom, all those, I mean, even Harvey and to that extent, like all college people did a really good job. So I'm happy he's back. Like you said, it's going to be probably a temporary thing just until they can find the next guy. Uh, I think Zach Scott is like technically their assistant GM now or, or part of the GM process as well. I think he'll probably eventually just take over that role in full, especially if he does a good job. Um, but Alderson knows how to build a winning team. And I like the idea of being able to see what Sandy can do 
with the ability to spend money because that's always been his handcuff in the past, whether he was with Oakland or he was with the Mets, it was, you right. can't really spend the money. And now the handcuffs are off, which is nice. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's kind of like, a, you know, kid in a toy store where all of a sudden he's going to have that kind of unlimited budget. What What's would you, cause we've talked about, I mean, it's a good offense. It's a solid pitching staff. What's in your opinion, the biggest concern for the team, not outside of, you know, potential injuries. Cause I feel like you could say that about any team, but like, what's your biggest concern this year with the Mets? I think my biggest concern with the Mets, it probably always comes down to the bullpen. You know, I, I talked about it a little bit, you know, the other day, but Edwin Diaz has looked really good. And last year he proved to us that he can be an elite closer mm-hmm. again. That still exists. We know the stuff he has. It's fantastic. But when fans start to get there and when the eyes are watching him, I still don't know if I have the trust fully. I'm starting to believe in him a little bit more, but it's it's tough when you've seen him time and time again. Every time I give him the trust, he gives up a home run, they blow it. And I know he's not going to be perfect. That's not possible. But he's always a huge question mark. I mean, outside of like Trevor May and Lugo, and Lugo's even hurt, the bullpen definitely has a lot of questions. Like Familia, what version of him are we going to see? Batansis looks like a shell of himself. Like, And it's yeah. sad to see because he was such a dominant force with the Yankees, but he's throwing like 91, 92 now, and he just doesn't have the stuff to be able to throw that, you know, that kind of velocity. Sam McWilliams is a guy we picked up that looks really good. Um, some like 6'8 kid that they got from the Rays. They have a lot of options it's going to be interesting to see how it handles or, or how it plays out and it's also going to be interesting to see how Roas handles the bullpen now that bbw isn't there and he's not making the decisions from the gm you know office as well so yeah bullpen and honestly just rojas those are my two biggest concerns this year i'd say defense as well i i just because it's not with, with some guys like degrom's yeah. going to get his you know seven to twelve strikeouts a night but i think with a guy like like stroman who has good stuff great stuff but is a guy who is, you know, he's a relatively a pitch for contact guy. And, yeah. and I think there's, there's question marks, guys may be playing out of position. Lindor is obviously elite, but you have guys like Alonzo who's unproved, you know, still fairly unproven at first base, though he makes up for it with the bat. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We have been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with a 100% chocolate on all bars. And now is the time to find out which Built Bar is best. It is Built Bar Madness. And today's matchup is coconut brownie chunk versus lemon almond cheesecake. I'm not a huge fan of coconut things, but I've had the brownie chunk one. It's quite good. We're, we're going with that one. Go to builtbar.com or to at bar underscore built on Twitter. I have completely screwed that up in my ad reads. I think I said built underscore bar. It is bar underscore built on Twitter. Remember to use the promo code locked on. They're, they're probably not paying me now because I screwed up the, the live read, but whatever. Locked on 15 to get 15% off your next order. That is locked on 15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. 
Beginning this Wednesday, Locked On MLB podcasts are featuring one of the biggest events of the year, the Locked On MLB Division Preview Series. All of our local experts in every MLB market answer the biggest questions around each team. Follow Locked On MLB on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. One thing I like about you is, and I mean this in the best way possible, is your pettiness. I think it's great. (laughs) And and I, I... I wanted to ask, because I find it interesting, because I live in Michigan, right? And I, I, I'm a Detroit fan. There's no, like, second Detroit team. It's all, you're kind of on board. Uh, you are in New York, but you have the contempt for the Yankees. And it's a funny thing to me, because I, I maybe maybe you're different. I like a lot of the Yankees players. I do. I like Judge. I like Cole. I, I, I like their, their manager. I like their coaching staff. I like their announcers. And yet... There's still a part of me that's like, man, it's really fun to see him lose. I love John Boy. He's, he's the biggest Yankees fan in the world. He's great. Yeah. Is Where did that contempt come from? Did it start at a young age of them just constantly winning? Or was it, did you go to school with a lot of Yankees fans? What, where? Tell me about the origin of the contempt. Yeah, so I mean, like, I think the best way it started off is like when I was five years old, Mets, or five, four, I was four years old. The Mets played the Yankees in the 2000 World yeah. Series. And my dad kind of like gave me the question of, you can be a Mets fan, you can be a Yankees fan. You got to pick now. And I will, my dad was like, I'll change with you. Like whatever team you're going with, I'll come with you. My dad, big Mets fan, of course. And I was like, nope, I'm staying with the Mets. And from that moment, it has just been heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. And I mean, luckily for me, I didn't get to see too many Yankees World Series like championships after that. I mean, they didn't win one until what, 09, I think after 2000. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They had, they lost the Diamondbacks in 01 and then they lost the Marlins and that, that's great. I've seen a lot of Yankees losing World Series, yeah. but also I know about their rich history and they've just significantly been better than the Mets in my lifetime. I think they haven't had a losing season and I think their worst season had like 86 wins, which yeah. is like, man, that's a great Mets season for me. Um, going to school with Yankee fans, you know, a lot of like, you know, the Mets stink and not that like I took it personally, but it would be nice to say like, no, the Mets are good. They're better than the Yankees, but that was never the case. So just growing up in New Jersey, New York area, constantly hearing about the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees, the Mets have always been the little brother. You, you just don't like to be number two and the Mets are consistently number two. Yeah. Well, I, you, I, I, I feel that completely. And um, hopefully that changes here soon with Cohen coming in and, and making changes and the talented roster uh, that they have there. You know, this is a real quick actually, which I, I cause I, I, maybe I'm bringing up too many painful memories, but I'm just curious because I'm a Tigers fan. I've had enough of them. Yeah, but sure. Of course. Which, which Mets loss, and end of the season loss hurt more. Uh, was it was it 06 or 2015? For the people who may not know, 06 ended. Carlos Beltran bases loaded. Adam Wainwright threw what, in my opinion, might be the clutchest pitch ever. So I mean, nasty. A perfect 12-6 curveball to strike him out looking in a year where the Mets would have ended up playing the Tigers if they end up winning that game. And then, of course, 2015, Harvey goes back out there for the ninth. Which one? Which one stuck with you longer? I think 2006, because 2015, you know, we were riding high, but we were still down in the series and it was going to still take a lot for us to come back and win the world series that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was what three, one at the time. Yeah. So it, it, it was a lot. I mean, we would have been only the second team, I think since the Cubs to come back from like a three, one kind of thing. So yeah. um, it, it was, you know, not really that hard. It still hurt, but I remember even like me and my dad, like sat to the last out, we sat there and we're like, that was still pretty cool. Like we got to go to a world series together. We got to watch it. And, you know, as much as it didn't turn out the right way, this was an incredible experience. I'll never forget 2006. On the other hand, though, I was 10 years old. That's right. When I started like getting baseball mm-hmm. and that one hurt because the Mets were the best team in the national league, arguably the best team in baseball that year. It was like, we should have been to the world series. We should beat your tigers yeah. <laughs> and we should have. And like, 
when Andy Chavez made the catch, it was like, how, how can we lose? Right. Like that was a gift from the baseball gods. Cause he had no business making that play. And it was like, okay, Beltron's up. This is our guy. And to see that, you know, that curveball drop in there for a strike, I lost it. I remember I was crying. I think I, we had like a little ottoman. I think I flipped the ottoman. I went to bed. I was sobbing. And I remember the next day I was hurting. I was like, how am I ever going to recover from this? Is this what my life's going to be? Like <laughs> the Mets are making me cry day in, day out. Like it, it was so tough. That one is always going to stick with me. Yeah, I mean that that Chavez play was so unbelievable that I, isn't there a brick for it, like a dedicated or a plaque outside of City Field right now, which is insane because it's a game they lost, but that play was so iconic that people remember. I agree with you completely. Obviously, I'm not a Mets fan, but that you're right. I mean, the 2015 team had an amazing last two months. Uh, we Cespedes obviously traded for Michael Fulmer, you know, big uh, twist of fate there to, for two different organizations. And he oh, yeah. lit it up for you guys in that, that, that season. But you know, they were kind of above their weight class for a lot of that run. I mean, they regular season wise, they probably weren't better than the Dodgers. Uh, they, I know they had a weaker record than the Cubs as well, but pitching carried them. And then you got to a Royals team that was just kind of a buzzsaw that year. I mean, everything went right for them. You know, this is a Tigers podcast, and in Detroit, there's a lot of cynicism right now. I believe within the last two years, no major sports city has lost as many games as the, the Lions, Red Wings, uh, Tigers, and Pistons have. I mean, it's been it's been brutal. I mean, usually there's one team in the city that kind of carries them, and there, there hasn't, they haven't been there. Uh, I guess just – but I like to get the outsider's perspective. Like, just – and I know it's your National League, but what – like, just from the outside of you viewed – how do you view the Tigers rebuild and what you've seen just in the limited action you maybe know? I, I think I'm probably going to surprise you, but like I'm really high on the Tigers this year. I think that they're like going to be a fun team to watch. I think they have like, I love their young pitching. I love the, you know, yep. Manning, my Scooball, which is like their core three, I guess. I love those guys. Like, especially Scooball. I watched him the other day pitch against the Phillies. And while like he might not have had the best or most productive outing, like you can see the stuff just explodes out of his hand. Like mm-hmm. he's, got really good stuff. It's just, you know, about fine tuning it. And he's still what, like 20. He's really, young. I mean, th- this will be his rookie season. Yeah. So yeah. like he, he's super young. Casey Mize, I know he didn't have a great year last year, but again, super young. And we like, know the talent is there. And even if he's not going to maybe live up to the number one hype, he's still going to be a really solid pitcher. I think for you guys down the line, you've got Manning, you've got Riley green, you've got Torkelson. Like mm-hmm. I think there's so much to be excited about with that Tigers organization especially with AJ Hinch. And I know he comes with the Houston Astros cheating scandal, you know, around his head, but I was such a big AJ Hinch guy in Houston. I think he was so, I don't think people give him enough credit for like how much he helped that rebuild process there. You know, they did get a bunch of great talented players, of course, too, but he really did. I think expedite that process to where you thought maybe the Astros were three years out. Oh no. In 20, I don't remember what year it was that they just missed out on the playoffs. I well, think they were in, in 2015, they made the playoffs with Keuchel. Okay. And uh, that was because, and that's my, that's always my argument is like, if you want to discredit everything he did in Houston after the sign stealing stuff, uh, you, fine. Sure. But that 2015 team, that was before the core got there. It was Altuve yeah. Springer, but you had a lineup with like Chris Carter, you know, J- Jason yeah. Castro, and they were one Carlos Correa error away from going to the ALCS that year. So, no, I mean, they, yeah, they just missed it uh, that season. I'm with you completely. I think I think he's going to be a good manager. And, yeah, like I said, you know, we're, we're just – we're waiting for that – for them to get here. We're waiting for the excitement. And it's it's excruciating. You guys went through the same thing in the, the early 2010s where it's, you know, where's Generation K? Where's Harvey? Where's Syndergaard? Where's DeGrom? And you had to go through some, some brutal stretches there. And then finally you came out uh, on the other end with, with, you know, making it to, to the World Series there. Uh, are you familiar? I'm sure you are familiar with Don LaGreca. Yes, of course. Yes. 
Go screw. Uh, are you a fan of the Ed Crane pole rant? Uh, it's possibly one of my favorite Mets rants of all time, where he's, sh- he's shaking the Ed Crane pole. It's like, dude, that's who the Mets have. Ed Crane pole. Every Ed dude, that's like he. That's the whole thing he does is one, my favorite part of it is that he's naming off all the Yankees like forever guys, and he's like Ruth, Dima- Dimaggio, Garrick, and then he runs out of players, and he just goes Bird, Torres, two guys who are like journeymen, like. Like you know, quadruple A players, and, he, yeah. and also I'll I'll ask since we're talking about announcers. I mean, you guys have the luxury of having uh, Gary Cohen and Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez. I mean, is because there's a lot of controversy. The Detroit's had to switch guys out a few years ago. Two announcers got into a fight, and they had to, to can both of them sadly. But I mean, even during the the worst of Mets seasons, you never you're never putting it on mute. I guess so to speak. I mean, are you are you as big a fan as the general public seems to be of them? Yeah, no, I'm I'm a firm believer that they're the best announcers in baseball, and like they're up there. There's definitely a little bias, but I think without a doubt, they're top five. Mm-hmm. That crew, I think without a doubt. Um, it's really nice that. Gary comes from the radio, of course. So he's always trying to fill dead air. And that is something that I have a lot of problem with a lot of other teams is that a pitch will happen to like strike two and it'll be silent. They're not saying anything, but him, Ron, Keith, they're always having a conversation, always talking baseball. And even if you're not, you know, necessarily fully paying attention to what they say, like you can learn something about the Mets or you can learn something about the game. You know, Keith has some old takes here and there. He's a little bit of a boomer, but that's also what you love about him is that he, he does stick to, you know, his guns. He sticks to what he believes in and he's going to say, it, and he doesn't really care what you think. You, this is what I'm telling you. I played baseball. I won an MVP deal with it. You know, um, Ron's a little bit more of, you know, bringing in the analytics a little bit more. He's a little bit more of a newer thought process behind the game with still some of the old school stuff. I think they're, you know, um, the way that they flow together and just that the way that they talk about the game, I think anybody who likes baseball would really enjoy watching them. You don't have to be a Mets fan. You could be a fan of any team. Like they're, they're not really homers either, which is nice. Right. It's weird to me that they've both like enhanced their legacies as players through announcing. I looked at his baseball reference page for the first time a couple months ago. I forgot how good Keith Hernandez was with them. Like he, he was had a borderline hall of fame caliber, like prime there. I mean, him and, and Darling was quite good too. I mean, both key pieces of, of the world championship team uh, there. I do have one more for you. And, and it kind of goes back to the first question I asked about the moment when things popped, but the last one will be what's been on this journey the most surreal moment for you? What was the moment that made you like take a step back and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. What was that moment? Okay. So this is an interesting one. I think like I, there's kind of two, I think like right now, the stuff that's really cool to me and I don't think I'll ever get like tired of is when people recognize me, like people, you know, I go to a game and people are like, Oh my God, there's Mark. Let me go take, can I get a picture? I'm like, that's, that blows my mind. You know, that's, I think something I'll never get tired of, but the story that always sticks out to me that I'll never forget um, has to do with my guy Jabari Blash my boy. So he's always, you know, been a part of my channel, a little bit of a meme, but then we became friends, visited him in Chicago when he was playing for the angels at a Chicago white Sox game. So I was, you know, talking to him, getting the tickets from him, all that kind of stuff. There's another player on the angels, Michael Hermosillo at the time, who actually was a viewer of my channel and, and my stuff. So we became friendly just because, Oh, you're a major league baseball player who watches my videos. That's cool. We should talk. So, you know, Jabari plays in the game. He's like, hey, you want to come out to dinner afterwards? Like, we'll hang out. We'll talk. I was like, yes, of course. That's unbelievable. So he goes, yeah, so how do you know Hermosillo? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I get into the locker room. I'm putting, you know, putting on my cleats, putting on everything. And Hermosillo comes over and he goes, yo, how do you know Mark? What do you, what do you know about Mark? And he's like, 
what do you know about Mark? I'm like that a conversation of two major league baseball players having like talking about me just is something that I never thought would happen. Um, it, it was, it was pretty surreal. And even to the point where like Jabbar was asking my opinion on things in baseball and wanted to hear what I had to say, like just for someone who, you know, in a lot of our eyes, and even though he didn't have the greatest major league baseball career for him to put me on the same level as him and treat me as like an equal. And as a friend was something that, um, I mean, it was part of like almost my motivation to continue on with this was because it was like, I think I've got something here and, you know, give a little validation. That's awesome, man. And I, I think what you're doing is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. You know, we need, we need more guys who are making the sport fun because it is fun and it is awesome. Sometimes people just forget that. So I really appreciate you coming on today, man. We'll keep in touch. I'll make sure to link to all your stuff. Follow them on YouTube, Giraffe Neckmark. Really appreciate you coming on, buddy. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much again to Mark. Genuinely a really nice guy. I've been very lucky to, to interview a lot of very nice people so far, and that's great. It's not just a, a put-on YouTube facade. Super, super cool dude. Follow him on Twitter. Follow his YouTube page. Subscribe. Listen to his podcast. I thought it was fitting because I've talked a lot about the Mets and Steve Cohen a lot this offseason, and there was nobody that I would have rather talked to about that team in particular than Mark, so I really, really appreciate it. A few show notes tonight. 7 p.m., the first Locked On Tigers locker room session. You can follow me on that app. Download it from the iOS store. It's at Castellani2014. I'll spell that out for you in just a second. And we're going to be doing another crossover episode. Ryland Styles of Locked On Royals, the final Locked On crossover event for the AL Central before opening day. Couldn't be more excited. Had a lot of fun talking with him last year before the world went to crap. And that will do it for programming notes. And that will do it for today's show. You can follow me on Twitter and uh, on the Locker Room app at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Tigers. While you're at it, go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a written positive five-star review of this program. It would be much, much appreciated. I will be right back here tomorrow, uh, most likely with a crossover with Ryland, so can't wait for that. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you again to Mark. I will be right back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day, and go Tigers.